everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike. Joining me as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How are you? Greetings and salutations, cosmic monsters. Yes, I'm doing very well, Mike. How the hell are you doing? Oh, I am doing well. Another weekend winding down and uh, I got the house to myself. So just relaxing, you know, watching movies, talking about movies and uh, what else? Maybe some video games later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and also with us is Don and Ellie. What's up, Don? How are you? Yeah, it's always great to be here. All right, cool. So, as we said at the last episode, or at the end of last episode, we are going to be covering Glorious, which is now streaming on Shudder. This one had a lot of festival buzz recently, and unlike sometimes when uh, the festival movies don't show up for months, even maybe a year, uh, this one hit pretty fast after the buzz hit, so lucky for us and everybody else, maybe, yeah, depending it was so, on what our thoughts are. <laughs> I think it was that, I think this one and Moloch were playing at uh, Fantasia, and it was, um, I think when we were doing Moloch, it was actually still screening at Fantasia, just like a week before it was at Shudder. Yeah, I wonder if it's a case where like Shudder had the rights and already had planned to release it, and then Fantasia picked it up. Because usually, if if something hits a festival and it's getting like this much buzz, it's not often that it shows up that quick. So I don't know the sequence of events. Yeah, I mean, it, it, Shutter, so. it, it absolutely one hundred percent played festivals first. If Shutter if Shutter would have picked it up, there would have been no need for it to play at a festival. The whole reason that independent film plays at festivals is to get distribution. If they already had distribution going in, it's not likely they would need to show it unless it was like a, you know, festival favorite, like favorite director or favorite something that they did. They just wanted to show 
um, you know, just to just to show it. But I would say 99% of the time, if they're playing at a festival, they don't have distribution yet. Okay. All right. Well, uh, with that said, yeah, it is on Shutter right now, and it's streaming. So let's find out if we're going to recommend people check it out. So off the IMDb, after a breakup, Wes ends up at a remote rest stop. He finds himself locked inside the bathroom with a mysterious figure speaking from an, ad- an adjacent stall. Soon, Wes realizes he is involved in a situation more terrible than he could imagine. Nice synopsis, whoever wrote that. Doesn't give away too much, just kind of gives you a setup. So, uh, general thoughts. We will start with, as always, it's Venom Up. So, what did you think of Glorious? All right, folks. Well, before I start my review, I have to caveat this review with I am a gigantic Lovecraft fan. I have been following, uh, you know, the stories, the the Cthulhu mythos, half my life, if not longer. Gigantic fan of uh, the community. I'm I'm an active member of, of multiple Cthulhu communities. So yeah, I am a gigantic fan of H.P. Lovecraft. So please take my review with a grain of salt. And my review is I fucking love this movie. Holy shit. This movie was 78 minutes of pure ecstasy for me. I, you, you have no idea how happy this movie made me. Uh, besides being beautifully shot, beautifully acted by really the majority of the film really being covered by two actors, one of them being an actual personal friend of mine. Yes, J.K. Simmons is a poker buddy of mine. I play at a kind of a high-end poker game out here in Burbank, California, and J.K. is not a regular there, but he does show up every now and again. Uh, so uh, once I heard his voice, I just was absolutely sold. And to hear his, and no pun intended, I don't care. I'm going to say it multiple times. His glorious voice throughout this movie just made this an absolute joy for me. Uh, I absolutely dig this story. This is taken directly from the um, from the Cthulhu mythos. I'll get into that a little bit later. There are multiple gods that are mentioned in this movie, but not mentioned by name. So I'll fill in the blanks for you a little bit later on when we get to the spoiler section. But yeah, beginning, middle and end, I absolutely adored this movie. I watched it again as soon as it was over the first time. I've watched it twice today. It may not be the last time I watched it today. this This movie catapults itself into my top three for the year. I'm not sure exactly where it lies. I don't think my number one's going to budge for for the remainder of the year, but this is solidly in my top three. Absolutely adored it. It has elements in there of color out of space, the void, you know, from beyond multiple, you know, Lovecraftian films that we've gotten in the past. And we, and this movie is just a beautiful homage to all of them. So yeah, in my opinion, glorious is an absolute triumph. And this is coming from a director that I had, did not have high hopes from. Um, I hate to say it, but Rebe- Rebecca McKendry is not a director I'm a gigantic fan of. Um, she directed one segment from the Tales from Tales of Halloween anthology, which was just an okay segment. It wasn't one of the best segments in the movie. And then, unfortunately, she directed that um, Christmas anthology, All the Creatures Were Stirring, that I believe the three of us were not fans of. I, I remember specifically disliking the film, especially the wraparound. I just hated it. So, like I said, I was not expecting much from this director. But then she goes and delivers one of my favorite horror films of the year. And listen, folks, this movie isn't for everyone. I'm going to be sucking this movie's dick this entire episode but yes, it is incredibly slow. It, not a whole lot of visceral action happens. 
Uh, you don't get to see a whole hell of a lot. I mean, it's definitely implied horror, as the best Lovecraftian films are. You know, those of you who are Lovecraftian cinema uh, fanatics like I am knows that that is a huge element of Lovecraft is just, you know, the slower pace, the mystery of it, the lack of viscera and whatnot. So, uh, like I said, I, you know, uh, I'm going to cut this short because I'm, it's going to be hard for these guys to get me to shut up on this episode, because like I said, this was an absolutely beautiful film. And if I had to rate it, I can't think of a goddamn thing that would make me not rate it 10 out of 10. I know I'm going against a lot of people in the community. I've already read a lot of negative reviews about this. And ultimately, I don't necessarily disagree with a lot of the negative reviews, but I, I just I don't see any negative issues with this movie. It is just an absolute perfect film, in my opinion. So I'll go ahead and pass it to the next person, which I guess is Don. <laughs> All right, the baton gets yeah gets passed to uh, Dawn. Uh, general thoughts on Glorious? Meh. Uh, it, yeah, yeah. This is uh, my money is uh, the most disappointing and underwhelming film I, I've seen all year. I, I, I really wanted to like this. Um, I, I, I like the setup. I like the general idea of the one location. You know. Simplistic, you know, it's simplistic. There's something. You know, it. I, I'm going all over the place just because I want to trash this thing to pieces. But <laughs> I'll say this: had this been an anthology segment, I would be right up there with Venom as a ten out of ten. But for me, ninety percent of my issues with this is the fact that nothing happens. <laughs> it's one person shouting at a bathroom stall for ninety minute for ninety percent of the running time, and that just grows weary. That just grows tiresome. You know, we don't get any real stakes in this until what fifty minutes into this thing, and it's only eighty minutes. It's like, okay, we spent the entire film for what? Like, it's just these two people talking to each other, and then we get the payoff and the resolution, and it's like it makes everything all completely pointless. Uh, I absolutely hated the final 10 minutes of this. I thought it was an absolute complete non-net starter. It destroyed any and all goodwill that had been built up for me. The visuals are okay, but uh, again, it's just one person shouting at a bathroom door and you got to do something more than that. And I wasn't completely interested in the guide before we get the final revelation. So, yeah, a lot of this was just a complete no-go for me. I, I understand this was going to be something that Venom liked, but as the minutes wore on and the conversations dragged out and just nothing was happening, dead I, I lost interest in this. And, yeah, this one was a complete whiff for me. <laughs> it's funny because when I was done watching it, I, I'm sitting in the, on the couch the first time thinking, you know what? You could take out all the horror. You could take out all the Lovecraftian elements. You could take out all the mystery of it. You could give me a three-hour movie of just J.K. Simmons and this guy talking in a stall, and I would be completely enthralled and entertained. And I think that's that's going to be a big part of the difference between you know horror fans and their reviews of this film. Who can take a you know who can accept a kind of a Tarantino-esque uh, 
set of dialogue, Tarantino, Kevin Smith-esque, um, you know, type of dialogue, these two characters just going back and forth. I'm not going to disagree with Don. He's not wrong in any way, shape, or form. But the reasons that he hates this movie are some of the reasons that I absolutely adore it. So, yeah, it's definitely going to be hit or miss for most of the people in our community. Okay. Well, so far we've heard two ends of the spectrum on Glorious. So where am I going to land? I am going to land on Venom's side because I love this movie. Um, I, I guess, you know, somewhat to set up the table, when it comes to cosmic horror, you know, with a heavy influence of Lovecraft, two things you almost have to be willing to give it is... There's never going to be, well, I guess if you say cosmic horror done right and sort of staying true to, I guess, unwritten rule, I don't know exactly how to put it, but basically you're not going to get 100% explanation for everything. But I thought, like, when you compare this movie to something like Color Out of Space, I thought this movie did a lot more charity to kind of give you some type Mm -hmm. of framework within what's going on, because... Something like Color Out of Space or even other cosmic horror, a lot of times you you get similar things going on in this movie, but you get zero explanation and zero context at all. And you really have to just accept that when it comes to cosmic horror, A, there's no um, specific reason sometimes things happen, and two, it it's very big on the fact that there's no... It's not working within a good versus evil framework it's working within a things happen because they happen and that's all there is to it and when you're dealing with otherworldly or other dimensions or whatever however it's framed within the story um it's it's often that our characters are just introduced to something or some someone something that uh is it's just changing the things around us and it's it's very intentional that it's operating it's operating outside of like anything our minds can understand because we have a very you know earth earth like uh, understanding because that's the world we live in. So I think you know you have to give cosmic horror that charity up front, and if you don't, uh, it's it's automatically going to be a negative for you. Now, with that said. That doesn't mean that, you know, every cosmic horror that does that aspect right gets everything else right to people. Mm -hmm. Like, people could say, hey, I fully give it that charity, but I just didn't like other elements of the movie, which sounds like that's what Don was saying. Like, he he has story issues, it seems. So I just wanted to make, you know, clarify, there are valid criticisms, even if it adheres to the cosmic horror elements. Now, for me, I tend to be a fan of the writing and the story and the characters we get. And I thought that we, you know, we get a twist somewhere down the line in the story, which I thought worked. And I, I was a fan of uh, the, I, I was a fan of the fact that it's, it's obviously a lower budget independent movie, but when you have people writing and directing that seem to understand how to operate within those constraints, um, I think you can still get a really effective product, and that's what I found here. The, the few times we do get, you know, some shots of what our character is dealing with, I thought they looked great. I thought uh, uh, it was it was effective. I thought it was 
jarring a little bit, you know, because that tends to be the goal of cosmic horror. It, it, it's it's otherworldly, so you get some of that. I love the color palette. I mean, we've seen the color palette before in other cosmic horror, so that shouldn't be a surprise. Lots of deep blues, purples, kind of almost hot pink at some point. Oh, yeah. Uh, also, you know, it's small, tiny cast, most primarily one location. Um, so for me, I was fine with that. Like I said, with these types of movies, it's imperative that the story and the writing is strong. Otherwise, yeah, you're going to probably, it's going to get old because you're like nothing, nothing much is going on, which I think is what Don felt. But for me, I was fine mm-hmm. with the story. I, I did. I, it was kind of nice to see the main character because that actor, I haven't really seen him since he was on True Blood as, uh, Suki Stackhouse's brother, Jason Stackhouse. That's probably what he's most known for. And I haven't really seen him much <laughs> since then. And then obviously JK Simmons, uh, in it. And, uh, you know, I, I liked where it went. And I also think another smart decision to make it a barely 80 minute movie, um, because yep. it's a, it's a smaller budget, smaller scale story. It feels like it, 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 it did what it needed to do and it was done and uh, makes it easy for me to like throw on again. Like Benham said, he's already watched it what, three times. <laughs> so, Twice today. <laughs> right. Right. So, I mean, and I, I didn't know a ton. Of, so for me, I'm not someone that usually like avoids, you know, knowing or looking up movies beforehand. The only reason I really didn't with this one is because we already kind of brought it up at the beginning that it got the festival buzz and then by the time I was even like starting to like look into what it was, it had they already announced it was coming to Shutter this quick. So I was like, well, now I really don't even need to. It's going to be available in a couple of weeks, so I'll just go into it blind. Other than kind of knowing it was a cosmic horror, but I didn't know the setup or anything or who was in it. I think J.K. Simmons is all I knew. Um, so like I'm like, well, I'm on board because J.K. Simmons is awesome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I thought this was great and as of now yeah it's easily in my top 10 where on my top 10 who knows but it's as of now it's definitely there had a had a blast with it and this is the kind when you know when we talk about independent filmmaking you you a lot of times you're gonna have to scroll around and search for like stuff that kind of rises above the fray and i i felt this did i felt this is the kind of movie to me that like bigger studios with bigger budgets to hand out should take a look at it and be like, okay, who wrote it? Who directed it? Uh, who did effects on it? Obviously in that smaller budget and we should hand them more money to see, you know, <laughs> if they have the ability to write a bigger story, let's see. So yeah, I was a big fan. Yeah. I mean, you, you talk about a bigger story and one of the really huge things I love about this movie is the fact that it is a tiny little story. It's just two entities in a bathroom for 78 minutes. I mean, that's really, it's like the simplest explanation of the movie. Yet, being that it is a tiny movie, it has universal consequences. And I absolutely adore that. Um, Obviously, cosmic horror has to have some kind of more universal consequences to really, you know, kind of add to the dread of the film and the, you know, the... uh, just the uh the sense big of stakes, big stakes for being such a small story exactly yeah and that that's uh, that's truly the that's the strength of well-made lovecraftian film is that you can take a little story but make it 
this cosmic nightmare that could affect every entity in the universe. That's to me, that's huge. And everything that Mike said, like I said, I barely talked about the filmmaking of this film, but yeah, I mean the color scape, the, you know, the color theory throughout the film, the performances, just uh, the, uh, the different, uh, even though the movie does take place, you know, 90% in the bathroom, we do get some flashbacks in other areas and, and different things. And then, during the finale, we get a reveal, a plot twist that this movie didn't even need. One of the great things about Lovecraftian horror is that we don't know why the protagonists are being put through what they're putting being put through. Uh, think back to The Void 2017. Those who've seen it, those two people at the end of the movie, what did they do to deserve that fate? Nothing. They, 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 were, they did nothing but be good people. That's the nature of, of cosmic horror. We don't know why it's happening. In this movie, they actually give us an extra little shred of Wes's past that might kind of lean towards why this is happening to him. And even though it wasn't necessary, I absolutely loved it. There, there's one shot in this whole movie that I do kind of regret. I'll talk about that in the spoiler section. And again, that kind of leads back to the nature of cosmic horror and the mystery of it. But even with that one, you know, little nitpick that I'll have about the film, this is an absolute just beautiful film for me. I, I, I see why people don't like it. I see why Don hates it. And Don's points are 100% valid. And that's why I did the caveat before my review. I am such a huge Lovecraft fan that I mean, I didn't know what this movie was going in whatsoever. All I knew that is that it was getting some really good festival buzz and it dropped on Shudder this week. So I was like, let's go ahead and do this one. Just because I haven't heard this kind of festival buzz from a movie since The Sadness. So I'm like, okay, let's do it. Or maybe since Hatching. But um, yeah, this, this this was, I mean, I, I have an ear to ear grin just sitting here talking about it right now, thinking about one particular podcaster who shares a love of Lovecraft that I have and wondering what he thinks of the movie. And I know Mike knows what I'm talking about, but yeah, uh, I, I will be very curious to see uh, his review once that is available. But yeah, this this fucking movie, God damn it. This just checked every box for me. You know, uh, it's like someone decided to make a movie for me and this is what they came up with. And I, I, it would be the greatest gift I ever received. I, I just I, I can't say enough good things about this movie. I I also found the the twist interesting because I think it kind of re, it further reiterates the point of like, um, you know, the otherworldly or cosmic forces don't really care as far as good and evil like we find out why this particular person or character was chosen for it and it really has zero bearing on like what we would consider good or bad in a person you know and i i think that uh i think that i think you i think you're correct in saying it was unnecessary but i also feel like it was almost good in a way or it was a good no, decision <laughs> to add that element because it just re reiterates the point of 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 the whole cosmic stuff going on but yeah they didn't have to do it but that's also what to me that's like a level to indie you know any movie that needs to be focused on writing and developing a story because i you would think people i don't want to say lesser but i would say not everyone would think of a and it's a very simple 
thing to put into the story, right? Like it's yeah. not you don't have to totally alter or make the script bigger or you know out of your budget to introduce that element to it. So I thought you know it, it was a clever thing to do, albeit unnecessary, but still it's it's warranted. I mean, like I said, I I, I don't know if I'll go as far as to say warranted. I, I'll say that that particular decision with that plot twist is going to bring in a lot of non-Lovecraftian fans, because if you don't have that plot twist in there, a lot of people that maybe don't consider themselves Lovecraft fans are going to wonder, well, you know, what the hell, you know, you, you know, what was the whole point of this, blah, blah, blah. And those types of, you know, non-Lovecraftian fans don't understand there is no point. That is the beauty of cosmic horror. There is no point. There is darkness because there is darkness and that's it evil wants to destroy good it doesn't need a reason it just wants to and that's what i absolutely adore about it so yeah again th this goddamn movie just, <laughs> just love it so much i'm so sorry don that you had such a bad time with it because i'm sitting here with my nipples hard just so happy to be standing here talking about it <laughs> oh man uh, man, what else can we say that isn't um, spoilery? I mean, ultimately, it's just a matter of the story now. We've already talked about as much as uh, of the two characters that we really can uh, without spoiling anything. Um, yeah, I'm looking down my I, notes. Uh, surprisingly funny. That was one thing I wanted to say about the movie. There are multiple moments in the movie that made me laugh out fucking loud. And I will happily admit to it. I don't care. Some of them... Some people might look at these two or three gags and just roll their eyes, you know, and that's fine. Again, no one's right or wrong, but for whatever it's worth, they tickled me so much. I, I just literally I'm sitting here alone in my house just laughing like uh, laughing like uh, what De Niro and Cape Fear, just as loud and ob obnoxious as possible. And it totally works for me. I, I would in no way ever call this a horror comedy in no way, shape or form. But like I said, there are two or three little quick gags that totally did it for me. One, one in particular has to do with the glory hole in the bathroom. <laughs> just I, I lost it. I so lost it. But it also made sense that Wes, as a normal human, would assume that's what Gat was talking about. I, I'm being cryptic as shit, I understand. But uh, this is just for the benefit of the people who haven't seen the movie. So I would say... If uh, you gentlemen don't have anything else to say, this would be our final spoiler warning. If you have not watched Glorious, please, please go and watch it right now. It'll only take you 78 minutes. Go ahead and pause us and come back. Otherwise, if you haven't seen it or are not a fan of Lovecraftian horror, please join us for what won't be much of a walkthrough. There's not a whole lot to talk about here as all of us have already said a majority of the film is just two characters talking in a bathroom and that's I mean, we're, that's not hyperbole, folks. That's we're being literal here. So, yeah. So let's go ahead and start with our description of Glorious. Our movie opens up with a shot of Wes just standing in a black void. There is nothing that is visible other than he standing in the blackness. And he's just listening to a voice, uh, you know, kind of speaking cryptically. Um you know, while he's looking around, almost frantic, like not knowing what's going on. And then the movie just kind of goes to black completely. We get our title card. So it's a very cryptic uh, cold open. If you can even call it a cold open, it's so fast. At this point, we are introduced to Wes. He is driving somewhere. We're not sure. Um, he obviously looks very, very distraught. You know, it looks like he hasn't slept in a while. It looks like he hasn't eaten normally in a while. 
Uh, he ends up stopping at a rest stop at the side of the road, tries to buy a candy bar at a very old candy machine. It does not work. Fortunately for him, there is um, I, what I can assume is a local. To, even after watching this movie twice, I'm not sure what this character's point is, but maybe they didn't have a point, but it, it just seems like it was so... It, it, it was a point, it was almost like a red herring at the beginning. Like, you know, you're thinking, what does this woman have to do with it? She's being way too cryptic right now. But basically, she she says something to Wes uh, along the lines of, things always appear to be broken, but it's not that they're broken. It's just that you gave up on it. And, you know, Wes kind of looks confused. Uh, the, the older woman kind of walks up to him, uh, looks at the machine, the candy machine, asks him for a quarter, takes the quarter, puts it in the machine. She is able to successfully get the candy bar out of the machine, hands it to Wes, and Wes says thank you. Um, she turns around and says something else to him. I, I don't remember exactly what, even though I've watched this twice already. But she says, she does say something cryptic to him as she walks away. And as she walks away, what we see is this beautiful, like, pink and purple flower on the ground with some kind of clear ooze on it. Instantly, that single image reminded me of Color Out of Space, like, just right off the bat. So, literally, we're less than five minutes into the movie, and already I'm getting Lovecraftian tingles, you know, so I'm already excited. <laughs> Uh, Wes ends up, uh, you know, just having a little bit of a breakdown. We see him calling uh, a perceived ex-girlfriend, some, you know, someone named Brenda that apparently recently broke up, as our movie synopsis mentions. He's obviously lamenting the breakup. He's calling her, leaving her message after message after message. Finally, the, the his cell phone dies, the battery dies, and he ends up getting so mad he throws the phone across the parking lot. So already we can tell that Wes has no sense of the future, that he kind of lives in the moment. And if something pisses him off, he's going to deal with it right there, then and there. So that kind of is already setting up his character a little bit. Um, he ends up uh, pulling out a bunch of stuff from the car. Perceivably, it's Brenda's stuff that maybe he's either returning to her or stuff that she left at his house that she doesn't care about anymore. And he's looking through pictures and, you know, personal items, things like that. He starts crying. Uh, at this point, he pulls out a bottle of whiskey and he just starts taking these gigantic swigs out of it. Starts basically burning all the possessions that he had in the back of his car. And, and his backseat was full of just random crap. Like I said, it looked like he was going like a cross-country move or something. Like he was going somewhere for a long time. And um, so he basically burns everything in there, drinks the final swig of his whiskey bottle, and passes out. Oh, I, I forgot to mention, he burns everything except one single picture of Brenda, uh, the girl that's, you know, that he has uh, perceivably broken up with recently. So he passes out. The next morning he wakes up. He his pants. He accidentally threw his pants into the fire in his drunken rage. So he is now there in his boxers and a shirt and a button down shirt. Uh, very, very hungover. He runs into the bathroom to puke. And he and they actually kind of make a gag out of it where it seems like he's puking just way more than humanly possible for a guy who drank half a bottle of whiskey and a chocolate bar. But there it is. He's puking his brains out as soon as he's done puking that's when our movie begins in my opinion right there you hear uh, an ominous voice from the next bathroom stall say are you okay over there everything all right and instantly and you know obviously i know the man personally but i even if i didn't know him i know that voice i'm a huge fan 
of a lot of the voice work he's done on um, the, the Last Airbender and stuff like that. Uh, and goddamn, I just love the man. So when I hear his voice, instantly I perk up and I'm just like, ah, I'm so happy that they're using his voice and not him. Not to say I don't love when he's in a film. I mean, because he's a brilliant actor, obviously Oscar winner. But that voice is just so, no pun intended, glorious. <laughs> just such a perfect voice. I mean, I, there, there are a few voices that I think would have been better in this role. You know, there's, there's not too many James Earl Jones or Patrick Stewart's left in the world. But goddamn, if J.K. Simmons doesn't fit the bill. So um, we hear this mysterious voice in the next uh, stall just start starting a conversation with Wes. Basically, Wes is trying to tell him, hey, look, I'm not much of a bathroom talker. I'm sorry. I, you know, I don't really want to engage with you too much. But, you know, uh, the voice is very polite and, you know, very um, almost sensitive to his situation that he's hung over. He even asks him very politely, is this a result of uh, imbibation or, or from libations or something like that? And, and of course, Wes you know, says yes. Like I said, they just go back and forth kind of talking about just life and, uh, you know, Wes constantly saying that you don't know me, you don't know everything about me. Um, but then at this point, the creature in the uh or the entity in the stall basically puts his cards on the table and says okay i'm gonna be honest with you um have you ever heard of uh you know a god who was created i, I forget the exact uh story that he tells but he may you know i i know it more in the in the cthulhu mythos than i do from this movie since i've only watched the movie twice and i've read the story multiple multiple times but basically, he tells a story about a god who has been kind of uh, uh, banished, if you will, from his own realm and who was created for a certain purpose who, you know, people don't know what that purpose is quite yet. And uh, Wes says, oh, so you were named after this god? And then he says, well, no, I am that god. And uh, one of the first funny scenes I actually liked in here is how basically the god helps Wes pronounce his name. Um, it, it, uh, apparently, this <laughs> god is kind of, and, and he kind of has a cute joke about it where he says, I'm sorry that I'm going to make you, you know, uh, pronounce my name this way, but I'm a stickler for proper pronunciation of my name, and no one ever gets it right when I just say it to them. So he basically has Wes grab his tongue between his uh, forefinger and thumb and say a certain phrase. I forget what the exact phrase was, but while he's holding his tongue, you know, it sounds like gibberish, obviously, but then as he slows down his uh, speech pattern and the timber in his voice, finally he says, Gada Noatha, uh, wait, Gada Noatha, right? Is that the name of it? Gada Nathoa, Gada Nathoa, uh, Gada Nathoa, I'm so sorry, I'm all over the place, G-H-A-T-A-N-O-T-H-O-A, Gada Nathoa, and, um, they kind of they, they have a couple of pleasantries, you know, back and forth. Obviously, Wes doesn't believe them. Um, but then every time, like I was saying earlier, every time Wes basically says, you don't know me, Gat, as he is affectionately called for the rest of the movie, uh, basically proves him wrong. He says, no, I know everything about you. Literally, I can get into your head anytime I, I want. And he proves it to him by showing him a memory 
of Brenda, like a, a good memory that they had. But then suddenly Brenda starts growing tentacles out of her eyeballs and her voice, is, her voice starts to change and start, starts to sound more like J.K. Simmons. He, of course, Wes, wakes up and realizes, oh, you know, you can get into my mind. And he's, of course, yelling back and forth, you know, get out of my mind. Fuck you. You don't know who the hell I am. You don't know anything about me. And, of course, you know, a gat is basically proving him wrong at every turn. Um, obviously, there's a lot of scenes back and forth. There is a little bit of a backstory where um, Gat actually lays it on the line. Like, And this is what Mike was talking about, that usually with cosmic horror, it's more about, oh, it's just happening because it's happening. But in this film, we actually get a legit explanation from the horse's mouth, from the god who is about to perpetrate the horror that's about to be perpetrated. And what Gat mm -hmm. tells um, Wes is the story of his creation. And he talks talks about how um, he is the first son of a you know, cosmic horror that, you know, can never be, you know, defined or, you know, things like that starting to sound familiar in part of the mythos. Well, uh, I will tell you exactly what you're looking at. As it turns out, Gat is the cosmic mind reader. He is the first son of... You guessed it, Cthulhu. He is the first son of Cthulhu. And as Gat is telling us the story, he's telling us the story of how the youngest son of Cthulhu, the final son that was created, actually cut his father open. And the ooze that kind of came out of the wound created the universe, created the stars, the sun, the planets, uh, people, you know, life, everything. That this ooze basically created the universe. Now, because of this, Cthulhu was very spiteful towards humanity. You know, he was pissed off that humanity was, you know, created because of this wound that his youngest child um, inflicted on him. He then begs all of his children, please, please heal this wound. I don't want any more of this life being created. All of his children eventually do agree to close the wound on one condition. And that condition is that their father allow the life that has already been created because of the wound to let them live, to just let them exist and, you know, just let them be. Do not destroy them. Do not sabotage them. Things like that. Um, Cthulhu, of course, agrees. But in Cthulhu's anger for from being kind of shysted by his children, he cre um, he basically assigns uh, Gadanathoa or Gat as the destructor, the destroyer of Earth, and uh, basically um, he literally he has created to do nothing but destroy all life in the universe. But he needs his father's power to be able to do this. Now, during the struggle after the wound was closed on Cthulhu, his children, uh, all of his children basically banished Cthulhu. They trapped him in some nether realm somewhere. I don't remember the exact names of everything, but basically trapped him, and, which left Gat without the power to be able to destroy the planet. So basically the planet and all life in the universe was safe as long as Cthulhu was kept in check. Now, what happened, of course, Cthulhu gets out. And as soon as he got out, it basically took um, Gat out of his um, ethereal form. And it started to put him in a more corporeal form or a physical form, as you will. And basically, once he's done with his transformation to the physical realm, he will then destroy the world. 
The problem is Gat doesn't want this to happen. Gat actually likes humanity. He says that over the last few millennia, he's actually developed um, kind of a sense of almost love and caring concern, if you will, for the humans and all life in the universe. He says he's he's compelled by the truly good and unselfish people of the universe and entities. So he doesn't want to see it destroyed. So when you really look at it, at this point in the film, there is no antagonist. The Gat, yes, Gat is victimizing Wes, but he's doing it for a good reason. And what is that reason? Well, we find out right here. At this point, this is where Wes just breaks down and says, what the fuck do you want from me? I, I don't understand what I can do. And that's, you know, after uh, Gat explains everything, he basically says, if I can have my corporeal form satisfied by a human, I will return to my ethereal form, leaving the universe safe. And then, you know, my brothers and sisters will be able to trap my father again and delay, you know, the destruction of all life in the universe. So, you know, if anything, Gat's being kind of noble. Yes, he was created to destroy, but he doesn't want to destroy. He wants to, you know, he wants to let the humans flourish and everything else. So he's he's almost a... Uh, you know, almost a likable uh, Lovecraftian god. Go figure. Those actually exist. Jeez, so like anyway. An, an, uh -huh, an, un, um, an unassuming destroyer of worlds in a, in a way. But um, yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I think we're on the part where what, one of the cool parts is when we're getting the exposition when he's like, explaining stuff. We get that beautiful kind of animated uh, oh. sequence. So cool. on the yeah. bathroom stall and door. I thought that was really cool and something I was like impressed with for being like a lower budget movie, you know? Yeah. It was Marvel a cool way to integrate the exposition in without just another conversation. They added another element to it. Or to even just try to, you know, create this big CGI monstrosity scene that just ruins everything rather than just getting it told by Gat with these beautiful, you know, moving animations. I think Marvel fans would most recently have seen this style of storytelling in the TV, in the Disney Plus series, Miss Marvel. Any of you guys that actually watch that remembers how they would be telling stories with the artwork in the background, like with graffiti, but the graffiti would be moving as the story's being told. So it's very similar to that. Obviously much darker here, much darker subject matter, of course, but yeah. Mike is absolutely correct. That, that was just a beautiful use of uh, storytelling to be able to tell us that backstory. What is actually a great backstory, too, if you actually, you know, um, look into the Cthulhu mythos and read deeper into these stories. They really are endlessly entertaining and interesting. So check them out if you're even mildly interested. Anyway, so at this point, um, Wes doesn't really understand what Gap means by I need a human to satisfy my urges. Now, because Gat is speaking through a glory hole, and I can only assume that's where the title glorious <laughs> comes from. Uh, the only other thing I could think of is just J.K. Simmons' voice is just goddamn glorious. So let's call the movie glorious. But uh, I'm assuming it's because of the glory hole. Um, when Wes hears Gat say that he needs a human to satisfy his urges, of course, being the dirty, gross human that he and all of us are, instantly he thinks that Gat wants sexual satisfaction. This is one of the scenes that absolutely made me just roar. Um, he ends up pulling down his pants and sticking his penis in the glory hole, and instantly you hear Gat say, what the fuck is that? 
what are you doing? And Wes is like, well, I thought you said you wanted me to satisfy you. (laughs) And he's like, just like a human, always thinking with his dick. I'm sorry. This fucking scene was great. And at this point, this is where Gat basically says, no, 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 no. I'm not looking for sexual satisfaction. Um, I think a piece of your liver will do. Yes. Gat is looking for a piece of Wes's liver, and he basically says, you don't have to give me the whole thing. I mean, I know you need your liver to live. 25% should be plenty, basically. And a liver regenerates. You know, Gat lets him know a liver regenerates, so you should be fine. Um, Gat basically breaks off a piece of a mirror or takes a piece of a broken mirror from the bathroom and slides it over to Wes. And, of course, it's shaped like a knife, and that's exactly, you know, what's happening. Now, this is a scene that Don was talking about that he hated, and I totally understand why. But I think the editing in this scene is just so well done, so beautiful. How, you know, even though um, Gat's father is literally right outside of, like, Earth, it seems like he's right in the next realm because the bathroom wall starts to break, and we actually see the image, or at least this film's image of Cthulhu, forget about the traditional image of Cthulhu that you guys have all seen. This this is just, you know, I, I actually thought it was Agathoth at first, who is, you know, kind of the king of all cosmic gods. But um, no, it was actually Cthulhu, because once the, once the god said his name was, you know, uh, Gat, I knew instantly that, yeah, that's the son of Cthulhu. So blah, blah, blah. Anyway. This scene goes back and forth with Wes just kind of yelling back and forth at Gat, telling him, you know, I'm working. Okay, give me a second. Give me a second. Because, you know, he has to basically cut into himself like Gat won't do it for him. He has to cut his own wound and pull out his liver to give to Gat. Um, But, of course, he's kind of, you know, struggling, going back and forth, not wanting, not sure if he wanted to do it. He has multiple changes of heart in this scene you know at first first he kind of wants to do it then he kind of has the realization that you know what this universe has done nothing but shit on me my entire life nothing good has happened to me other than brenda and i and now i've lost that so honestly i don't give a shit about the universe like literally west was going to just let the universe die forever but then what gat does is he says well you know what's even worse than death the death of memories I could make it so that you'll never, ever remember Brenda. And then he actually, we get this cool scene where Wes is having a flashback or, or like a, you know, a, a flashback to a previous, you know, scene from before the movie where him and Brenda were happy and he's walking up to Brenda. And then when he turns Brenda to, to actually look at her face, her face is blank. There's, there's no features there. It's just a blank face. And that's when we hear Gat's voice say, I can make you forget Brenda forever. And there's nothing you can do about it. Obviously, Wes starts to break down. He's like, no, no, please don't let me forget Brenda. I, you know, I don't let me just see her one more time in my head and I'll do whatever you want me to do. Gat concedes and lets him see Brenda in his head one more time. But what he lets him see is what happened to Brenda. Yes, my friends, this is where we get the reveal of Wes. Um, throughout the movie, we see Wes with a red box, kind of like a, a, a picture, bo- a box with pictures in it and other little personal, like a trinket box, basically. Um, you know, he ends, he burns that box early in the film, but the camera kind of focuses on that box multiple times throughout the film. So obviously there's a little bit of a mystery of what's in this box. What's in the box, my friends? Well, it's not Gwyneth Paltrow's head. No, this time it is 
a picture, a bunch of pictures and trinkets from women that Wes has already killed. Yes, my friends, Wes is a fucking serial killer. And the reason that he's so upset about losing Brenda is because Brenda was going to be the woman to get him to stop killing people. He actually dated her for what? I think it was like two months and 10 days when she gave him uh, the, the, the gift, uh, the stuffed bear that says, I love you very much. Oh, adorable. And literally, it seemed like Wes was going to stop his killing ways, but then Brenda finds the box. So one day, while they're preparing to go out, Brenda finds the red box, she opens it, and we finally get to see the pictures that are in the box, and it's of all these different women, blondes, brunettes, just women that aren't Brenda, just a bunch of different women, and they're all screaming, or they're crying, or they're, like, tied up. You know, obviously, you know, these are all basically victims of Wes. And then at that moment, Brenda turns towards Wes and Wes is now holding a knife in his hand. And without actually seeing Wes stab Brenda, the camera kind of pans back on a shot of Brenda. And we see that she's bleeding from the midsection and she she passes out. And there you go, folks. We get our reveal that Wes actually does fucking deserve what's happening to him in this scene, uh, in this film, excuse me. Um, which, like I said, it kind of goes against standard cosmic horror tropes. As, as I've said multiple times, the standard is that we don't know why bad things are happening to the protagonist of the film. But as this film turns out, it's funny because our movie starts with Gat as the antagonist, Wes as the protagonist, but in this scene, whoop, roles are reversed, my friend. Suddenly Gat is the good guy who wants to save the universe, and Wes is the piece of shit who has a body count across this country of the women that he's fucking taken out. So finally, uh, Wes just kind of comes out of his trance, if you will, comes to his senses and says, okay, fuck it, I'll do it. He goes into the stall. We start to get the scene where he is basically taking the piece of glass and he's cutting into his own abdomen. Oh, and th this is the gag that I fucking lost it. You guys might not even think that this is funny, but I fucking I laughed so hard the first time I had to pause the movie because I was worried I was going to miss something. As soon as Wes starts to cut, like he starts to put the blade up to his stomach to cut it out. The music is like it's swelling. It's getting to this intense crescendo. And suddenly, just as Wes is about to cut into himself, the music stops. The score goes silent and you hear Gacko, uh, Wes, it's on the other side. He was about to cut into himself on the wrong side to get his liver. Uh, I, I don't know why that fucking tickled me, but it absolutely did. Just the way that the, the music was swelling and we're all anticipating this piece of glass about to go into his stomach and it all just stops. I fucking <laughs> lost it. I'm sorry. I just, wow. Goddamn J.K. Simmons. That's comedic timing, my friends. That is, again, no pun intended. That is some glorious comedic timing. I don't care. So cool. So anyway, um, once he, you know, once he realizes what side of his abdomen his liver actually is in, he does indeed start cutting into his into his stomach. He's taking the glass. He's cutting. He's cutting. He's cutting. 
while he's cutting, he has one more kind of hallucination, you know, type visual, if you will. And what we see is we see Brenda come up from behind him, grab his throat, and then we see all the arms of all the other women that he's killed start wrapping around him. We see all these sets of arms, and then we see one of the arms start digging into the wound, and it looked great, a beautiful practical effect, just digging into his abdomen, trying to pull out his his, uh, liver. And then he kind of snaps out of the hallucination. And what's actually happening in real life is he's made the incision and Gat actually has a tentacle sticking out of the glory hole, sticking into in what is a very phallic scene, by the way. (laughs) Basically, you know, he's got his very phallic tentacle coming through the glory hole, digging into Wes's open wound and pulls out the chunk of his liver that he actually needs and literally the instant that he pulls the chunk of the liver out of Wes, pulls it into the stall with him, everything goes quiet. All the noise, uh, the, the everything just goes quiet. And Wes thinks it's over. Wes is just like, oh, good, it's over. He's obviously, I mean, he's his flesh is gray. He's so pale. He looks like he's about to die. Hmm. Uh, he, he starts to walk out of the bathroom. The sun is shining. It's the next morning. It's a, just a beautiful, glorious uh, scene. And as he's walking away from the rest stop, trying to get back into his car, we hear Gat's voice start to talk to Wes and say, well, it's over, but I don't think you're going to be leaving this place. Uh, And he basically starts to talk about how we're both evil and neither one of us deserves to exist in this beautiful world. And, you know, without Gat actually do, I think Gat knew that that wound was going to kill him regardless, no matter how good or evil West ended up being, that wound's going to kill you. You're cutting out your own liver for fuck's sake in a dirty ass highway bathroom. Not like there's anything sanitary in there in any way. So, uh, yeah. And then West basically pulls out, uh, you know, he, he takes his last crawls out of the bathroom, out into the sunshine. He finds the teddy bear. That was given to him by Brenda. Um, He tries to get it to say, I love you very much one more, one last time. But the voice box is all shot and it just sounds like fucking nightmare fuel when it actually tries to talk. He keels over and dies. And then we basically just get one quick, cool kind of shot where the camera pans away from Wes very fast. Like it pans away from Wes until it's literally all the way in space. One of those ridiculous CG, um, you know, zoom outs where it's concentrating on a character, but then zooms all the way out to the universe. And that, my friends, is the end of our film. That is glorious 2022. And let me tell you, I just had a glorious time talking about it one more time. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was glorious. Uh, yeah, like I said, I, I th- this is you know I say this a lot on this show, but I'm gonna say it again with this one because it's just as valid. This is, movie isn't for everyone. If you hate this movie, you're not wrong. It's just not a movie for everyone. If you're not into the cosmic horror, if you're not into the kind of ethereal mystery of these kinds of films, then it's just not gonna work for you. I mean, a lot of Lovecraftian films don't have a lot happening in them. I mean, you know, Color Out of Space is a very slow movie, though not as slow as this film, admittedly. Um, 
so like I said, I understand any hate that this movie gets. And if you flip through the IMDb reviews for this film, there's a lot of one and two star reviews on here. People calling this a waste of time. You know, don't bother. J.K. Simmons can't save this movie. And like I said, it's very obvious these people aren't Lovecraft fans, don't understand the nature of cosmic horror. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. Not everyone has to know everything about H.P. Lovecraft. You know, if, if you're not a fan of these films, you're not a fan of these films. I still love you all, I swear. But I fucking love this movie. I don't care. I will unapolog- unapologetically die on this hill that this is one of the best horror films of 2022. And I'm sticking to that. <laughs> yeah, um, it's I, I agree for for the most part. I, I think it was really good, really quick watch, really effectively done. Enjoyed the story, like the effects that they were able to give. Um, I'm trying to think of the score. I mean, the score was subtle, but I still, yeah, yeah, I mean, it kicked in in all the usual spots you would expect it to. I wouldn't say it's memorable, um, but yeah, like I said, the, the funding or the, uh, the resources they could put into like the handful of shots we got of the entity or creature or God, I guess. Um, I can see the argument that people say they would have liked to see more, but what we did get, I still thought was really done. And I think part of the reason why they set it up, I mean, I I thought the having it confined in the stall for the most part was like a smart way to justify it. I mean, I just like the whole setup in, in it it just, it makes sense for like the, the story they're trying to tell. I, I just, I thought it was a creative way to do it. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and you know, versus versus something like to compare it to Color Out of Space again because I brought up that movie a lot. Where obviously Color Out of Space has more resources, so you have this stuff going on all across like the forest and landscape. It starts small, but it gets big in terms of what the effects they can do. A movie like Glorious, they're not going to be able to do that, so they had to come up with a smaller scale story that could confine it to where they're not going over budget or getting shut down because we can't make the script happen, right? Sure, sure. Um, thank you for reminding me about the one nitpick that I have on this film that I completely forgot to mention during my walkthrough, and that is the shot of Gat. Um, I, it's okay. Don't get me wrong. It looks awesome. It's a fucking globulous nightmare fucking mound of flesh. It, it's a cool-looking thing, but because of the nature of cosmic horror and the nature of just the mystery of it all— the image of Gat that I have that I ha- had in my head up until that moment was way more horrific than what we actually got. And I feel like if they didn't show us Gat, then we could all just kind of plug in our own picture. But because they actually gave us that one shot of Gat, we now know exactly what he w- looks like. So it kind of takes away a little bit of the mystery. I don't necessarily regret that shot because, like I said, it is still a nice shot. It looks cool. And especially for Wes, maybe it makes sense to show himself to Wes, knowing that Wes has, you know, sacrificed what he needed to sacrifice to save the universe and that he's about to die anyway. It makes total sense from that aspect. But as far as the audience goes, I would have preferred never seeing Gat. It's just like I said, I can come up with something in my head that would literally drive me insane more than any filmmaker can, you know, that could with a with a normal budget. You know, maybe if you give if, – if, if a horror director actually got like a $500 million budget one day, yes, he's going to make one of the most spectacular monster movies or whatever kind of horror subgenre movie he'll make. But that's never going to happen. 
So with what they had here, the budget that they had, I think it was an absolute triumph other than my one little nitpick of showing me Gat, but that's okay. I'm okay with it. Because ultimately, I have seen images of Gat in the past. You know, I've seen different interpretations, drawings, you know, 3D renderings, things like that. And they all are fairly similar with some mild differences here and there. So, you know, the filmmakers got it right. You know, the, their image of, of uh, Gat and Athoa is very close to, you know, a lot of the images that I've seen directly from um, Cthulhu Mythos books. So. Yeah, like I said, from a Lovecraft fan, I love this movie wholeheartedly. Absolutely. I'll shut up now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I tend to like cosmic horror, even not being as well-schooled in Lovecraft. I mean, I know kind of like the general overview of how his mythos works, but I don't have the knowledge of like different gods and different um, different actual stories and stuff, so... Um, but I still I, I just like the concept in general, kind of like the idea of, you know, you don't know what you're dealing with and you're not really supposed to like I, I like it. But anyways, yeah, so that's glorious. Um, it, it is on Shutter, like we've already mentioned. So check it out and uh, let us well, I assume if you listen through the spoiler section, you already have watched it. But if not, check it out and let us know what you think. I have I've noticed like. Episodes I'm getting on or I'm putting on YouTube, they're starting to get like people clicking like, but I'm like just waiting for people to start commenting because I just want to see what people <laughs> have to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and folks, um, this was a really quick walkthrough. I kind of sped through it. There actually is an on-screen death in this film. There actually is one human death in the film, but I skipped it completely because it doesn't have a huge bearing on the end story. Ultimately, it, it was kind of just like a side note to you know just to add a body count to the movie. I guess was the reason they did it. But um, so you know. I'm going to skip that completely. I'm not even going to talk about it. But yeah, if you want to see the uh, the final adventures of Gary C, definitely check out this film. <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to do it for this episode and our review discussion on Glorious. So before we get out of here, let's go around and find out what is the latest from everybody. So Venom, what you got? All right, not a whole lot new from me. Um, still, Creature Comforts episode eleven is our latest one, though we will be recording our, um, our actually our first anniversary episode. We'll be recording this week. It is the first anniversary of Creature Comforts, a full year now. So yay for us! Um, that'll be on. That'll be a Fantasia uh, uh, special, basically. Where we're gonna we're gonna take a look at uh, two or three uh, creature features that kind of played at Fantasia this year. They're going to be spoiler free reviews, very vague reviews, obviously. Um, some of these films might not even have an American release date yet. So like I said, they're going to be just very spoiler free and vague reviews. But as uh, any of our regular listeners know, we usually only do one film per episode. So we'll be looking at, at, at two or three. Uh, I think three is the slate right now. So, uh, yeah, that'll be a fun episode for our first anniversary. Check that out. That'll, that probably won't be available for at least a few weeks. Like I said, it's recording this week, and then we all know how, lo how slow I edit. So, you know, it it'll be out sometime in a few weeks. Um, let's see. Our main show, No More Room in Hell, episode 47, is our latest episode where we looked at, a, our, at two of probably the best Haunted House movies ever made in 1959's The Haunting and or 1959's House on Haunted Hill and 1963's The Haunting. 
Um, our next episode, we're going to be looking at facial trauma, where we're going to look at 1960s um, Eyes Without a Face and 2000, I want to say 2016 or 17's Good Night, Mommy. Both movies kind of having to deal with characters who have had facial injuries or surgeries of some kind. So, and and this is actually a request. This episode is actually a request from one of our fans. I'll get more into detail on that during that episode because I want to shout her out. But yeah, awesome selection on her part. So look out for that on the next episode of the main show. That'll be number 48 on, uh, let's see what else we got. And... Is that it for me? Um, well, the summer series, uh, Teapots, the podcast under the stairs. I finally recorded my final episode with Duncan and the rest of the gang, where we looked at all of the sixes, 1976, 86, 96, and 2006, to try to come up with the third best horror film of all of those years, to then have our all-encompassing greatest horror movie of all time list for next year's summer series, so look out for that. Um, uh, what else have I done? I think that's about it. I mean, it's a couple of weeks old now, but my episode of the horror countdown with Don, where we looked at our top 10 favorite Spanish horror films still out there. Check that out. I like to push that episode a lot because of how different our lists were. Me and Don had two very different lists of our favorite Spanish horror films. So if you're looking, if you're maybe not averse with Spanish language horror and you're looking for some stuff to watch, that's a great episode to watch because you're going to get 20 great movies to check out um, in varying degrees of greatness, of course. So check that out. And then I think, and you know what? We've already announced it on another show that isn't going to be released for a few weeks, but I'm going to go ahead and officially announce it right here. The latest venture in the No More Room in Hell family will be Mike and myself uh, taking a look at uh, our new show, which is called uh, No More Room in Hell Presents the Crystal Lake Gift Shop. And what that will be will be an episode-by-episode retrospective of the Friday the 13th series that aired from 1988 to 1990 on uh, cable TV. It's it's definitely a very polarizing series. You either you either love it or you hate it. There's very few people that are in between. But part of the reason that I wanted to do this show is that I was a religious viewer of that show when it first aired. I actually really, really enjoyed it. And I have not watched one episode since the final episode aired. I never owned it on physical media or anything like that. So this is kind of a kind of a walk down memory lane for Mike and myself. I'm not sure how much of a avid fan of the show Mike was when it first aired, but like I said, I definitely was. So this will be a nice little side cast that Mike and I do. No set schedule. We'll just put out an episode whenever we have one available or whenever we have the time to do one. And we will try to have a guest on all of our episodes. We already have a couple of guests lined up. If anyone listening to my voice is interested in talking about an episode of the original or original, the only Friday the 13th TV series, by all means, hit me up and we'll get you on there. And I think that's everything I got, Mike. Um, you, you had so much stuff. Did you mention the guest spot we both just did? Oh shit! No, I completely forgot. <laughs> you know what? I'll leave that to you. I gotta, I gotta let you talk about something. <laughs> okay, uh, Don, what you got? Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, Creature Comforts. Um, as the supplier of the films, I'm greatly looking forward to seeing what they have to say because 
I mean, I already know what the films are, but I'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to have to say. One in particular I'm really looking forward to because I think that's going to be a pretty interesting discussion. But uh, as I said, since I know the films, I think they're all going to be uh, it's going to be a fun time. Um, as mentioned as well, uh, Venom's episode of the Horror Countdown is still out there. And uh, as mentioned, it's a fantastic primer for Spanish language uh, newbies to, you know, look at something other than, you know, U.S. horror, you know, those looking at saying, you know, well, I mean, I'm pretty familiar with the U.S. stuff. What else is out there? You know, if you're looking to for Spain or, you know, any other uh, Latin-speaking countries that have Spanish as a primary language, this is going to be a fantastic primer and introductory slate for you to pick and choose where uh, something that uh, sounds of interest. So uh, go ahead and check that out. Um, the latest episode of uh, the Horror Countdown is now available. Uh, that is a look at my top ten favorite 1970s Euro horror. So uh, not just, uh, you know, your Spanish goodies, but, uh, you know, predominantly Italian and a few European, you know, some British, some German, a uh, couple of other uh, countries like that that uh, popped up with uh, titles. That was a uh, lot of fun. I really enjoyed that because, I mean, everybody knows me and my year of horror love. So that was a, a fun time. So, uh, yeah, expect a lot of Franco, expect a lot of Fulci and Argento and Bava and Martino and all the greats. So go ahead and check that out. And um, I, I do um, have an update on uh, the episode I did with uh, the nightclub podcast. That episode should be out by the time you hear this. Um, I, I think it'll be a, maybe a day or so later than that, but um, it should be out by then I'm told that it'll be end of the week. So uh, like I said, that should be uh, by the time you hear this, if not a day or so later, but uh yeah, it's uh, two words, Night Club. Um, you can uh, find them online. They're pretty easy. I, I don't think they have a Facebook page, but they're pretty easy to find on most other services. So uh, go ahead and uh, check that one out. And uh, I think that's it. Um, yeah, uh, I think that's uh, all I got. Okay. Um, as far as I go, yeah, Venom pretty much named them all off, except the guest spot we just did on the Joe Blow Horror Show. We both jumped on there with them to talk about Conjuring, the original Conjuring. And uh, it was a wonderful uh, discussion with, uh, I guess, varied opinions on the movie. So if uh, you want to listen to that, uh, I don't know. I don't even think we asked, even after the recording, I don't know what their turnaround time is with posting once the show is recorded. It's, pretty, it's actually pretty long. So, I mean, the, okay. the episode isn't going to be out anytime soon. Uh, they haven't even recorded, because they haven't even recorded them all yet. They only recorded Conjuring 1 and 3. They still got two and plus all the side movies to do. So, I, I don't anticipate it coming out this month. Uh, best guess, I'd say, September. All right. Well, if anyone's unfamiliar with that show, Venom, you were on there, what, last summer to talk Day of the Dead? Yeah, yeah. Last so. summer they started their uh, annual summer series. Well, they, they don't – I forget what they call it. It's not the summer series because they don't want to – Yeah, kind of exactly. Scottish it's like show. summer franchise something, I think. Yeah, that's like it. Summer, summer of the Franchise, franchise or something like that. Summer Franchise. So okay. basically last year they did their first summer franchise with the Dead series, the Romero Dead series. They did all six – um, of the official Romero dead movies, plus one or two of the remakes of the night of living dead remakes. I think they did 
the day uh, the dawn of the dead remake as well so they did a bunch of stuff in the romero kind of universe so and then this year yep as mike said they're doing the conjuring universe which is another incredibly large universe with three main movies and then what like five or six you know splinters between annabelle la llorona uh the soon to be released the crooked man so yeah big one yep Exactly. So, yeah, so I was going to say, if, if people aren't familiar with that and they want, like, a episode to pinpoint to listen to, uh, check out Venom Spot on there from last summer. But uh, other than that, I think that's it. So next week we will, or next episode, I should say, we'll be uh, covering the Orphan prequel called Orphan First Kill, which is currently on Paramount+. Plus. So another Peter's one. Too. If you don't have Paramount yeah. Plus, it is in theaters. Yeah, theaters Finally. and Paramount Plus. Yeah, the, <laughs> the one that I was, I think, supposed to come out in January or February and just disappeared January. from the earth. Oh, man. It's only eight months late. We're fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, for a film I never even thought was actually filmed. Exactly. <laughs> we were all on the fence. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is, like, when most movies get pushed back, it's, like, usually, like, okay, we're... No, I'm saying I didn't even think something. that they even filmed it. I thought that was just an internet... I thought that was just internet wishful thinking. Oh. That I, I thought it was just wishful thinking that they actually made a sequel to it. I didn't even think that that was actually real. <laughs> yeah, well, they did. Uh, it, it, we have now have proof that they actually made it. Um, not that it has a, a, much bearing on the sequel, but I will be rewatching the first one since it's been so long since I've seen it. And uh, I'll see if, you know, I, th- I think the, in- the most interesting thing I'm looking forward to is can the sequel match the surprise of not the not surprise as in the twist in the movie itself, but just a surprise of me going like, wow, that was a lot better than I expected. Well, uh, the twist was part of that, though. A twi- the twist was part of it for sure. Um, but now the question is, like, without the aid of that twist coming it's It's like what are you going to do because the 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 immediate thing i would compare it to is the boy one and two where like the boy kind of had a twist that i thought helped and then two reverted back to like what i thought the first one would be like and that's why i didn't like the second one i'm I'm actually glad that they went and did a prequel um with this one because it makes more sense even though the actress that plays esther is what 11 years older now 12 years older since the first orphan movie um so, you know, I haven't watched it yet, so we'll see if she can still pull off playing that younger character. But I do like the decision of being a prequel um, just because, you know, a lot of us are interested to see how killers got their start. How did Jason? How did Michael? How did Freddy? You know, what made them what they are? So I'm always interested in prequels. And honestly, a sequel? I don't know. I don't know if I'd even really be interested in a sequel because she's just going to be even older, even in the movie universe. You know, she's going to be I mean, she was already 30, what, 30? two or 33 in the original. So now she's going to be like in her forties, still playing a nine year old. That's going to be interesting. So I'm definitely glad they went for a prequel. Yep, for sure. So with that said, we will get out of here and we'll be back in a week with our next episode. So thank you everyone for listening. Let's say bye to listeners. Later. Never ever use a roadside rest stop. Have a good night, folks. Yeah, for many reasons, cosmic horror or not.